Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 169. Today's big Bible question, who or what is the whore of Babylon? So hello, everybody, and happy Monday to you all, or y'all, as they say in my home state of Dixie. Today's Bible readings are Deuteronomy 20, Psalms 107, Isaiah 47, and Revelation 17, which is our focus passage. Yay, back to all end times all the time. Well, maybe. I feel like we need Captain America here today to rebuke me a little bit for my language use in the title. That will be the only use, I think, of the WH word. That is the wording used by the King James Bible, but most modern translations don't use that wording, but say the prostitute of Babylon. And for the majority of the rest of the podcast, we will stick with that language. The reason why I use that word in the title, though, is because that is how most people in theological circles talk about the entity we are discussing today. As noted yesterday, we are now in the deeper and more obscure waters of Revelation, the parts that are less clear and more symbolic than the earlier and latter portions of the book. So let's begin by reading chapter 17 together. And as we do, make a mental note that this chapter begins a pretty significant discussion of the prostitute of Babylon that will unfold over the next three chapters. Revelation chapter 17, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the judgment of the notorious prostitute who is seated on many waters. The kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her, and those who live on the earth became drunk on the wine of her sexual immorality. Then he carried me away in the spirit to a wilderness. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls. She had a golden cup in her hand, filled with everything detestable and with the impurities of her prostitution. On her forehead was written a name, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the detestable things of the earth. Then I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast and of the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up from the abyss and go to destruction. Those who live on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast that was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he comes he must remain for only a little while. The beast that was and is not is itself an eighth king, but it belongs to the seven and is going to destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will conquer them, because He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. Those with Him are called chosen and faithful. He also said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute was seated are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The ten horns you saw and the beast will hate the prostitute. 
They will make her desolate and naked, devour her flesh, and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his plan by having one purpose and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman you saw is that great city that has royal power over the kings of the earth. Oh, is that crystal clear yet? (laughs) This entity, this prostitute of Babylon, as you heard in the last verse, probably isn't a person, but is an important figure in the book of Revelation. And like the other important characters or figures, her identity is highly debated. I am referring to her as an entity simply because there exists a very strong likelihood that she's not a person. I'm not sure we're going to be able to solve the mystery of the identity of the POB yet, but I do believe that we can find some significant clues in the Bible's text, and we can discuss some of the major theories. Well, first things first. The word that is often translated as prostitute here, or the WH word, or the H word to invoke our current vernacular, is the Greek word porne, and it is itself derived from a Greek word that means fornicator, and that word fornicator is derived from a word that means to sell. So I guess that's where the idea of sex and selling comes in mind. Our modern word pornography is also derived from these words. The King James Version usually translates the word as harlot, as in the well-known Old Testament figure who eventually was saved, Rahab the harlot. Now, second thing, we need to consider the location of Babylon. It must be remembered here that the Jewish people of the first century had really no love lost for Babylon, as this was a kingdom that had sacked Judah and carried away many of their people into captivity around, I don't know, 550 or 600 years before the birth of Jesus. However, most scholars do not believe that the prostitute of Babylon is literally from the city of Babylon, primarily because of passages like Revelation 11.8, where talking about the two witnesses, it says, their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Now, that passage is obviously not talking about Sodom or Egypt, but is all about Jerusalem, and John is using figurative language there. Likely, he's using figurative language in this instance, too, but the geographic location being referred to here is a bit more difficult to determine. The most popular interpretation of Babylon has been that it referred to Rome. Now, this view dates way back, at least to the 200s AD, when the Slovenian bishop Victorinus uh, wrote about it. Many of the early Protestants, like Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, also held to the view associating the prostitute of Babylon with the Roman Catholic Church out of Rome. In fact, our old friend Charles Spurgeon is a good representative of this view. And Spurgeon says, There never was a wrong done to one of God's people that God did not avenge. There has never been an ill deed done towards them yet, but he hath punished the doer of it. Though he suffered Assyria to break Israel in pieces, yet let Assyria speak when she rose from her tomb and tell how terribly God has punished her with a rod of iron because she exalted herself against the people of the Most High. Let old Rome testify that on her still rests the blood of the martyrs. Behold, our God has broken her empire into pieces. The Roman emperor has ceased to exist, and his 
gaudy pomp is all gone, and modern Rome, too, has an awful doom yet to come. She, above all other cities, has a a fearful future before her. She that is wrapped in scarlet and sits on the seven hills, the prostitute of Babylon, drunk with the blood of the saints, shall yet meet the doom foretold in the revelation. Behold, God has said it. She will be torn in pieces. She will be burnt with fire and utterly consumed. Wow, so Spurgeon there is pulling no punches, and neither do the reformers when they talk about Rome and the Roman Catholic Church. They are pretty vehement in their criticism of the Roman Catholic Church. There was obviously a lot of uh, feuding and persecution uh, that the Roman Catholic Church delivered onto the reformers at the time, so you can sort of understand it. But most of the reformers, if not all, identify the harlot of Babylon or the prostitute of Babylon with the with Rome and the Roman Catholic Church. The eminent church historian Eusebius, writing in the 300s AD, uh, shortly after Victorinus, he agrees with Rome being Babylon, and he actually offers a pretty interesting argument. He says, Peter makes mention of Mark in his first epistle, that's First Peter, which they say that he wrote in Rome itself, as it is indicated by him when he calls the city by a figure of speech, Babylon. So that's First uh, Peter 5.13, where Peter says, the church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, salutes you, and so does Mark, my son. Well, Peter wasn't writing from Babylon. He really likely was writing from Rome, and he calls it Babylon. So it's a pretty interesting argument. The Greek bishop, Echemenius, who was writing in the 500s and the 600s AD, also held the view that Rome was the Babylon of Revelation, and he thought it was self-evident because no other city that he was aware of sat on seven hills. Now, I should note, however, that there are other ancient cities of antiquity associated with seven hills, at least a couple. For one, Byzantine uh, or Byzantium, which became Constantinople, which became Istanbul. You might know the song that talks about that. Uh, that city was itself sort of modeled on Rome, and it sat on seven hills, as does Toledo in Spain. Uh, and I'm saying it the American way. It's probably much more uh, romanticized, but I have no idea how to pronounce Toledo in Spanish. But Toledo in Spain is also set on seven hills. Promasius, who was a northern African bishop in the 500s, he believed that Babylon was wrong. But there was another bishop, Andrew of Caesarea. He wrote in the 500s to 600s as well, and he believed that Rome was no longer the world power that it once was. Now, again, he was writing in the 500s to 600s, so this is a long time ago, but it was also after the time that Rome was this dominant world power. And this is what he said. Perhaps the seven mountains of Revelation 17 are those most excellent and powerful kingdoms that have succeeded themselves from the Assyrians in Nineveh to the royal power of New Rome, which is itself favorable to Christ. Since what is to be interpreted as spiritual, there is need for a spiritual wisdom, not a worldly wisdom to understand what is being said. We believe that the seven heads and the seven mountains, or the seven hills, are to be interpreted as seven places that 
excel the rest in excellence and world power. Some, says Andrew of Caesarea, consider this harlot to be old Rome since she sits on seven hills and the seven heads of the beast that carries the harlot uh, to be the more ungodly kings from Domitian, Domitian to Diocletian who persecuted the church. However, we are guided as much as possible by the sequence of events and think that she is either the earthly kingdoms generally depicted as in one body or that city that is ruled until the arrival of the Antichrist. For old Rome lost the power of dominion a long time ago, and we do not suppose that the ancient status will again return to it. But should we grant this, the power that governs today will have been destroyed beforehand. For the revelation says, The woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Now, as for me, as much as I love Spurgeon, of course, and respect the early opinion of Eusebius and our reforming fathers, I am unconvinced that the prostitute of Babylon represents Rome and the Roman Catholic Church. I agree, actually, with Andrew of Caesarea. Uh, he is an early amillennialist. Um, I am more of a historic premillennialist. We'll get into that one day, or maybe we won't. It's kind of technical in the weeds, but I kind of go along with uh, Andrew here. Yes, the Roman Catholic Church has perpetuated some great evil and corruption in the earth at times. Yes, the Roman Catholic Church has persecuted and killed reformers and others who called on the name of Jesus. Yes, I disagree strongly with many tenets of Roman Catholic theology. That said, I do not believe that the Roman Catholic Church of today really kills and persecutes the people of God nearly the way that Revelation 17 through 19 portrays the prostitute of Babylon doing. Nor does the Roman Catholic Church have that kind of influence. The kind of influence that we're going to read about tomorrow in Revelation 18 verse 2 and 3 which says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a hot haunt for every impure spirit a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Indeed, it's going to imply later on that uh, with the fall of Babylon the Great, all the merchants of the earth are going to mourn and they're going to have trouble selling things. Well, I don't think that lines up really well with the modern Roman Catholic Church. Could that change in the future? I suppose so. But because of that, I believe that the prostitute of Babylon, as a futurist, in other words, I believe believe that much of what Revelation is talking about is in the future, and therefore I believe that the prostitute of Babylon refers to, likely refers to, a future nation, organization, network, coalition, or something like that, that will have extreme power will be a perversion of the church and therefore have some form of religiosity attached to it, and it will persecute and kill true Christians in droves. I simply do not see such an organization active on the earth at the current time, so I assume that such an organization will become prominent in the future. In this view, I agree with the conclusions of Michael Hoodman over at Got Questions. He says, The fact that the whore of Babylon is referred to as a mystery means that we cannot be completely certain as to her identity. The passage does give us some clues, however. Revelation 17.9 explains this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. 
Many commentators link this passage with the Roman Catholic Church because in ancient times, the city of Rome was known as the city on seven hills because there are seven prominent hills that surround the city. However, verse 10 goes on to explain that the seven hills represent seven kings or kingdoms, five of which have fallen, one that is and one that is to come. Therefore, the whore of Babylon cannot refer exclusively to Rome. Revelation 17.15 tells us, Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and language. languages. The prostitute of Babylon will have a great worldwide influence over people and nations. Verses 10-14 through 14 describe a series of eight and then ten kings who affiliate with the beast. The prostitute of Babylon will at one time have control over these kings, but at some point the kings will turn on her and destroy her. So, can the mystery of the prostitute of Babylon be solved? Yes, at least partially. The prostitute of Babylon is an evil world system or organization controlled by the Antichrist during the last days before the return of Jesus. The prostitute of Babylon also has religious connotations, Uh, spiritual adultery with the beast being the focus of an ungodly end-times religious system. So I think, my friends, that gives us something to be on the lookout for, but as near as I can tell, it does not describe an existing world entity. Perhaps you think otherwise. If you do, I'd love to hear your reasons why you think otherwise. Just leave a comment on our website, BibleReadingPodcast.com, under episode number 169, BibleReadingPodcast.com. And with that, let's keep reading. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1. When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses, chariots, and an army larger than yours, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, is with you. When you are about to engage in battle, the priest is to come forward and address the army. He is to say to them, Listen, Israel, today you are about to engage in battle with your enemies. Do not be cowardly. Do not be afraid, alarmed, or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. The officers are to address the army. Has any man built a new house and not dedicated it? Let him leave and return home, otherwise he may die in battle and another man dedicate it. Has any man planted a vineyard and not began to enjoy its fruit? Let him leave and return home, otherwise he may die in battle and another man enjoy its fruit. Has any man become engaged to a woman and not married her? Let him leave and return home, otherwise he may die in battle and another man marry her. The officers will continue to address the army and say, Is there any man who is afraid or cowardly? Let him leave and return home so that his brothers won't lose heart as he did. When the officers have finished addressing the army, they will appoint military commanders to lead it. When you approach a city to fight against it, make an offer of peace. If it accepts your offer of peace and opens its gates to you, all the people found in it will become forced laborers for you and serve you. However, if it does not make peace with you but wages war against you, lay siege to it. When the Lord your God hands it over to you, strike down all its males with the swords. But you may take the women, dependents, animals, and whatever else is in the city, all its spoil is plunder. You may enjoy the spoil of your enemies that the Lord your God has given you. This is how you are to treat all the cities that are far away from you and are not among the cities of these nations. However, you must not let any living thing survive among the cities of these people the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. You must completely destroy them. The Hittite, the Amorite, Canaanite, 
Perizzite, Hivite, and Jebusite as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that they won't teach you to do all the detestable acts they do for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. When you lay siege to a city for a long time, fighting against it in order to capture it, do not destroy its trees by putting an axe to them, because you can get food from them. Do not cut them down. Are trees of the field human to come under siege by you? But you may destroy the trees that you know do not produce food. You may cut them down to build siege works against the city that is waging war against you until it falls. Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim that he has redeemed them from the power of the foe and has gathered them from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. Some wandered in the desolate wilderness, finding no way to a city where they could live. They were hungry and thirsty. Their spirits failed them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He rescued them from their distress. He led them by the right path to go to a city where they could live. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. For he has satisfied the thirsty and filled the hungry with good things. Others sat in darkness and gloom, prisoners in cruel chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the counsel of the Most High. He broke their spirits with hard labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and gloom and broke their chains apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. For he's broken down the bronze gates and cut through the iron bars. Fools suffered affliction because of their rebellious ways and their iniquities. They loathed all food and came near the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. He sent his word and healed them. He rescued them from their traps. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. Let them offer thanksgiving sacrifices and announce his works with shouts of joy. Others went to sea in ships, conducting trade on the vast water. They saw the Lord's works, his wondrous works in the deep. He spoke and raised a stormy wind that stirred up the waves of the sea, rising up to the sky, sinking down to the depths. Their courage melted away in anguish. They reeled and staggered like a drunkard, and all their skill was useless. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They rejoiced when the waves grew quiet. Then he guided them to the harbor they longed for. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He turns rivers into desert, springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into salty wasteland because of the wickedness of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into a pool, dry land into springs. He causes the hungry to settle there, and they establish a city where they can live. They sow fields and plant vineyards that yield a fruitful harvest. He blesses them, and they multiply greatly, for he does not let their livestock decrease. When they are diminished and are humbled by cruel oppression and sorrow, he pours content on nobles and makes them wander in a trackless wasteland. But he lifts the needy out of their suffering and makes their families multiply like flocks. The upright see it and rejoice, and all injustice shuts its mouth. Let whoever is wise pay attention to these things and consider the Lord's acts of faithful love. Amen. Isaiah 47, The Fall of Babylon. Hmm. 
Verse 1, go down and sit in the dust, virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, daughter Chaldee, for you will no longer be called pampered and spoiled. Take millstones and grind flour. Remove your veil, strip off your skirt, bare your thigh, wade through the streams. Your nakedness will be uncovered and your disgrace will be exposed. I will take vengeance. I will spare no one. The Holy One of Israel is our Redeemer. The Lord of armies is his name. Daughter Chaldea, sit in silence and go into darkness, for you will no longer be called mistress of kingdoms. I was angry with my people. I profaned my possession and I handed them over to you. You showed them no mercy. You made your yoke very heavy on the elderly. You said, I will be the queen forever. You did not take these things to heart or think about their outcome. So now hear this lover of luxury who sits securely, who says to herself, I am and there is no one else. I will never be a widow or know the loss of children. These two things will happen to you. Suddenly, in one day, loss of children and widowhood. They will happen to you in their eternity, in spite of your many sorceries and the potency of your spells. You were secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge led you astray. You said to yourself, I am, and there is no one else. But disaster will happen to you. You will not know how to avert it, and it will fall on you but you will be unable to ward it off. Devastation will happen to you suddenly and unexpectedly. So take your stand with your spells and your many sorceries which you have wearied yourself with from your youth. Perhaps you will be able to succeed. Perhaps you will inspire terror. You are worn out with your many consultations. So let the astrologers stand and save you. Those who observe the stars, those who predict monthly what will happen to you. Look, they are like stubble. Fire burns them. They cannot rescue themselves from the power of the flame. This is not a coal for warming themselves or a fire to sit beside. This is what they are to you. Those who have wearied you and have traded with you from your youth, each wanders on his own way. No one can save you. Well, interesting day, interesting podcast, I think, with all these references in the scriptures to Babylon. Hopefully that'll give us a lot of think, lot of things to think about over the next 24 hours. Well, I pray, friends, that the Word of God is a blessing to you, that it builds you up, that it encourages and edifies you in Jesus' name. Good day and Godspeed.